Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and of course, the excitement of Discovery. I am still somehow here, two years on, it's our birthday, gonna party like it's our birthday. I'm Ed, and I'm joined as always <laughs> by the sweatiest of all of the Archons, it's Sweaty Zach. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. happy to be here ed as usual yes our, our two-year anniversary was august 20th 2021 two years after you launched episode zero uh and of course i came on just a little bit after that and uh of course so a, a funny thing about when when i came on later and what today's episode is so today of course as you've seen from the title is our worlds collide retrospective where uh we've put together a bunch of exquisite uh card categories and our patreons uh have voted on, on different cards to win different categories from Worlds Collide. So we'll talk about the effect uh, that the set has had uh, looking back on it with uh, the benefit of quite a bit of time. And Ed, do you remember what my topic was when I was a guest back in episode, I want to say 13 or so? Zach, why don't you share with everyone what that topic was? It was Worlds Collide. We were actually going through wow. all the spoiled cards, going house by house, looking through all the spoiled cards. And now we're at our Worlds Collide set perspective. So... Uh, right at our two-year anniversary. Those must have been some hot takes because I haven't been able to get rid of you since. <laughs> oh, I, I'm not sure I got hired uh, quite on the merit of my <laughs> of my Worlds Collide hot takes. Uh, but now uh, I'll actually have to, once we record this, I'll have to go back and listen to that one and see see what we said about uh, about the set and see uh, how time, how kind time has been to those takes. Infernus, awful card. Awful card. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I probably just derided that thing into the ground. <laughs> yeah, you were really pro Brobnar, from what I remember. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> Sweaty Zach's a joke, but the not that one. much of a joke. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, dear listeners. Today is the episode that I think we very much enjoy as hosts, where we take a look back with the benefit of hindsight and say. What does that set look like? What does it look like in today's world? And how does it fare? Originally, this was uh, sort of 18 months on so that we could look back at it uh, at the same time as it moved out of rotation in Vault Warrior, which was three sets long. But Vault Warrior hasn't to date happened. We're hoping it will in a post-apocalyptic life. Uh, But you know, we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll hold our breath for that one. So in the meantime, we still have this rather lovely set perspective to look forward to. And what we've done is we've, we've done the hard bit. We've cut down the huge list of cards and and decided against our illustrious award categories for very real Call of Discovery, um, Call of Discovery? Uh, for very real Call of Discovery Compass Awards. Um, I'm holding one in my hand right now it's uh very real it's very 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 weighty you know beautiful beautiful old compass um we we've cut down the list of cards and we've given those to our patreons and said which one do you think wins this award and um well we've had quite quite a um quite a positive response from that haven't we zach uh, we we have we've had um quite uh at least it looks like uh half of our patreons jumping in to vote here emoji based voting uh and we are we've got we've got a couple uh we've got a couple of blowouts uh where a card got maybe all the votes or all but one vote uh and then a couple of much closer races in a few in a few other categories so i'm really excited to to dive into the results 
of of our little sample size of our lovely subscribers. Indeed, indeed. So without further ado, Zach, should we talk a little bit about the the background of Worlds Collide and what it is? Because when I remember Worlds Collide, I actually stayed up for the announcement of Worlds Collide. It was back in the day when real events with real people in person were occurring frequently. Um, and it was at Gen Con 2018, 2019, 2018. 2019. Gen Con 2019. And uh, Fancy Flight did this amazing in-flight report. So they all got together. They got a big audience. And it was it was quite unfair. Um, and when they announced Keyforge, everyone cheered, um, which obviously I did at home as well. Um, and they said, hey. There's going to be two new houses into the Crucible. And uh, the first one is Roman dinosaurs. And everyone was <laughs> like, what? And then everyone slowly dawned on people. I think everyone realized, wow, this is one thing I never knew I wanted, but I definitely did want. And it's really cool. And I'm here for it. And the other mm-hmm. one, the Star Alliance, um, being being a very kind of positive 1960s Star Trek vibe, but mm-hmm. also taking the mickey out of itself at the same time, uh, which 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 we love. So two houses that are now integral to the Crucible were were announced that day for a November 2019 release. So Zach, what were your first impressions of Worlds Collide? Did you did you think dead game or did you think, uh, hey, I want to get my teeth into this? Uh, all, all the teeth, all the teeth I wanted in worlds collide. So, uh, the new houses, I was, I was reacting like many of us other hardcore fans were, and that I loved the ideas of the new houses and that we were getting two at once in the third set. Um, and as the, the set launched and we started to play with it, uh, worlds collide is very special to me because as we started to play with it, Um, that is where the true rock, paper, scissors matchups are really important in Keyforge. That's where that really blossomed for me. I think Call of the Archons and Age of Ascension, uh, having having been released in that order, Age of Ascension, uh, while it is a set I adore, in many ways it does feel, when you're playing it, a bit underpowered compared to Call of the Archons. So it was easy to play Coda, be like, okay, I like this game, play Age of Ascension, go, eh, well, I'm not crazy about this set. Um, and uh, I think maybe we the game maybe lost some people off of that, which I mean, you know, if they were trying something new, that's kind of to be expected. But when Worlds Collide came out, what happened was that the dominant Call of the Archons decks with stealing and amber rushing with Untamed and Shadows and all this sort of thing, all of a sudden the counters to those decks were printed at common and the decks had plenty of their own very new threats uh, to, throw, to throw at decks. And I think it really started to turn to turn Keyforge into the big rock, paper, scissors, your matchup really matters uh, kind of game that we see today. I think that's where the game really matured. And uh, I think that's the momentum that's going to hopefully just keep taking it down the field. The the moment that solidified for me that Worlds Collide was here to stay and that it was well-designed and showed that there was a long-term big picture vision for how the sets fit together was the Archon... Uh, the Archon Vault Tour at PAX in Philadelphia here in the United States uh, when Justin of Tabletop Royale won the Archon Tournament uh, with Light Tasker Market Sheriff uh, with a whole bunch of archiving and eddies and some Worlds Collide, uh, just Worlds Collide shenanigans and just took apart Rush decks on stream. Watching that game is where I went, ah, this game is here to stay. There really is rock, paper, scissors, like the strategic depth of this game, both in how you play it and the decks you pick. That strategic depth just got just got five times deeper with the release of this set. So I, I love Worlds Collide because for me, it was it was uh, it, it proved to me that I'm going to love Keyforge for a long time. Awesome. Yeah, it really was the biggest change we'd had in the game since it released. I, you know, I certainly feel that Kota said, hey. Here is Keyforge. Um, this is what it is. Get used to it. Um, Age of Ascension kind of said, here's a little bit more to get your teeth into. More of the same. A uh, few more mechanics. And then Worlds Collide said, and this is what the future can look like. <laughs> um, and of course, we let we let go two houses as well. So we lost Sanctum 
for a little while at least. They're back now. Um, and we lost Mars. And Zach, I'm not negative very often on this podcast, but I, I have to um I think I have to admit something finally to our listeners on episode 86 or whatever this is, that <laughs> Zach, I don't like House Mars. I really don't like them. You've you've kept that a secret from the public for a very long time. <laughs> I have, and I've been very glad that they have not been part of this game for the past three sets. Um, um, well, uh, my my apologies to Lord of Winter. Um, it was nice having you as a Patreon subscriber for so long. Glory be to Mars. Um, but I know, in good conscience, Alex can no longer support this podcast uh, <laughs> after after that dramatic, terrible reveal, Ed. So that's I, on I've you. I've come out that's as a Mars skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a little green men thing. It's too much. They don't fit. Why are they there? I anyway. am I am I am in the Discord for Lord of Winter's Keyforge team and uh the the symbol is literally Mind Warper, the um cart the Mars creature from Call of the Archon. So I think you're gonna have a bit of a rough time. <laughs> I value all of our patrons equally, and they're perfectly entitled to their own opinions, which are all valid in their own way. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, so now we've got that out of the way. Um, so I really liked this set because we were losing the one house that I wasn't a big fan of and we were getting two more that I thought were absolutely awesome, to be honest. And, and should we talk a little bit about what those new houses entailed? Um, you know, firstly, the Saurians brought a very different way of playing. They were Roman dinosaurs that were looking to exalt themselves, looking to um, show off their their uh, prowess at uh, diplomacy and um, bringing that across into mechanics. What I really loved was you just had this feeling of these dinosaurs that really fancied themselves. And um, so they got a little bit greedy and so that they were hoarding amber on themselves. So instead of capture where you take amber from the other side, which is what we'd had up until that point where if you have amber on your opponent's creatures, it always goes back to you. What we now had is if you had amber on your opponent's creatures, they might be able to use it to do different things. They might be able to use That's right. that amber to forge or they might be able to take it off the board and it might not be coming back to you. Similarly, you might have your own creatures and it, it was almost used as a risk reward where you've got an exalt and you know, is it worth me sticking an amber on my own creature? What can the opponent do? Are they going to take that? Is it worth it for the effect that I get? It made some really interesting decisions out of out of a new house. And um, and that depth, I think, was very, very welcome after the more simple play it from your hand of the Kota days. <laughs> yeah, of course. I think Exalt was a lot of fun. Uh, they definitely pushed the limits, uh, or maybe past the limits of how powerful uh, you of a reward you get for exalting right things like quester jarda where you reap you exalt quester jarda if you want to and then if you exalt quester jarda you get an amber so it's basically saying i'm gonna get an amber immediately and you maybe get one later uh and you've got plenty of ways to protect that exalted amber right so definitely a lot of fun i do love the design space that saurians have continued to occupy even as their their power level has come back down to normal uh, in in future sets, a very very normal house, but I love the space they occupy, their theme, and all of their references to kind of classic Greco Roman uh, literature and some some old classics. There is just uh, an awful lot of fun. And then, of course, the other house we got was Star Alliance, very much a direct imitation of Star Trek. Nobody can deny that. And uh, of course, there's so many Star Trek references all over Star Alliance cards that it's just it's just blatant and it's fun and it's an appreciation of of a whimsical kind of forward looking optimistic future that Star Trek often was uh in Keyforge right and that was reflected in the mechanics what what mm. Star Alliance really brought was hey if you're a card from another house like I want to synergize with you you know uh, you've got you know Kirby letting you play cards from out of house you've got things that let you use cards uh, from from uh, other houses. And then, of course, 
so they had a lot of creatures with powerful effects. It was the introduction of their big play, fight, reap effects. Usually you would just get a play or a fight or a reap. But with these, it was play, fight, reap, so that you were getting value as soon as they hit the board, and then on future turns if they survive, and mostly balanced out just by being a bit smaller, right? You've got twos and threes in abundance, a few fours, and the fours are really the beefy ones and in the Star Alliance. Um, and they also come with all the gear that you you think of, right? The silly sci-fi gear from the Star Trek sort of universe in the form of upgrades. And if you had told me before seeing Star Alliance and Worlds Collide that there was going to be a house... Uh, that part of their identity was based around upgrades and it was actually going to be a ton of fun. I would have been like, eh, but upgrades aren't fun. I don't really like them. Um, I mean, not that I dislike them. They're just not impressive to me. But uh, the creativity and fun and the synergy within the the upgrades for uh, for Star Alliance has been an awful lot of fun from the blasters to light of the archons to just so many different things. So uh, they're an awfully fun house um, that just wants the rest of your deck to be um, wants the rest of your deck to be to be even better uh, to be even better themselves. They are almost the antithesis of Mars, and I think that's yes. probably one of the yes. reasons why I Very like much them. So. But I also appreciate that from a design perspective and from a flavor perspective that you know that is exactly what you would expect from the Grand Star Alliance. the The other thing that interests me there is. I think it's oft said now that Star Alliance do for your do for your board what Logos do for your hands. So Logos let you get value, let you get efficiency out of your deck, out of your hand, let you get those cards into your hand, and then the Star Alliance say, "Hey, we'll take it from here." When they, that gets on the board, and of course, board is much more important with Worlds Collide than it ever had been before for. Age of Ascension or Call of the Archons, board suddenly was becoming a crowded place where everyone wanted to be. And um, that add, added more RAM to the game, I'd say, Zach, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of this is a phrase often used by the Team Covenant and um, uh, RAM describing the number of things that you need to think about at, at the same time whilst you're playing a game. And Worlds Collide definitely ramped that up, combining board presence with game warping effects, um, a few more choices for you, um, and just all sorts of things really, really going on there. Zach, we have not yet spoken about the uh, the gifts from the future, the uh, presents from future <laughs> Keyforge sets that is anomalies. The anomalies, yes. Yes. Uh, I think those were a triumph for just excitement and collectability. Uh, in in short, some of them, of course, quite powerful, like lateral shift. Um, some of them maybe a bit more of a head scratcher about how they can be useful, like Nizak the Forgotten. Um, but they were so cool. They were so exciting. They were rare enough to actually really be rare where it's tough to find or acquire a deck, you know, with an anomaly in it. And they were just so exciting, introducing some new mechanics like graft, you know, putting a, an action card face up under under a card and then getting to trigger that that playability off of the action card. Just ah, uh, they were they were a ton, a ton of fun, a ton of fun. Absolutely. And we should say at this point for anyone listening that didn't really play Worlds Collide, maybe it's years in the future for you listening. Anomalies were a first look at future sets, potential future sets, yes, and potential potential. future houses. So it was the design team flexing their muscles, including a few cards from sets yet to come and sets potentially yet to come as well. The the multiverse of Keyforge, um, uh, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They they admitted that it was certainly possible futures. And we heard more about that when we interviewed uh, Aaron Halton, uh, one of the Keyforge designers about Dark Tidings. And he said they had actually gotten uh, this actually surprised me a little bit. They got a little far further downfield with how the tide would work, then looked back at Valocanth, one of the anomalies from Worlds Collide and went, oh, wait, we need to make sure this is consistent with Valocanth. <laughs> uh, so Valocanth actually helped them. Uh, uh, kind of lock in what the what the tie would be for for dark tidings, uh, which is which is just uh, uh, fascinating, fascinating. One one of my favorite little glimpses in the future, actually two two of my favorite, I'll say. Uh, one is the haunted mechanic off of the Grim Reaper, which is uh, you are if you have ten or more cards in your discard pile, you are haunted. It's basically an on off thing, which was a lot of fun. And then the Green Reaper would come into play ready 
if uh, if you were haunted. And then uh, the Red Baron gained uh, had two chances to gain additional abilities based on how many like uh, if you or your opponent had your res key red keys forged, which is an awful lot of fun to finally actually dive into using the uh, the colors of the keys, which I really look forward to when that's uh, even bigger. I would not be surprised if we see the Red Baron and friends in the next set following. Mm. Yeah, we know now the Red Baron is probably House Skyborn. Uh, mm. And it mm-hmm. would be very interesting. I think it would be very compelling, you know, going from dark tidings to the skies above the Crucible um, and seeing what's happening all the way, all the way up there. But without further ado, Zach, shall we dive into some of our awards? <laughs> Yes, let's do it. Oh, I'm very excited about these. Lots of great stuff to talk about in Worlds Collide. Mm. So many cool, good, interesting, or hilariously narrow cards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and the first category, because we, we like to uh, court controversy here on Call of Discovery. That's not true. We actually like to do the opposite. Um, but we are going to be looking at the most infamous card from Worlds Collide. This will be, I could confirm, the first card to win a Call of Discovery Golden Compass. Yes, it's golden now um, for for, for Worlds Collide. So what are our contenders for most infamous card, Zach? Our contenders for most infamous card from Worlds Collide are From House Dis, Infernus, From House Saurian, Tribute, and From House Grand Star Alliance, Quixel Stone. Now, my apologies to the emotional damage caused just by me repeating the names of those cards into your ears, because all of them can be terrifying. Mmm, they certainly can. And should, can we go from the? Let's go from the bottom up. There, Quixel Stone. This was one of our first properly game warping artifacts. Um, it, it is an item artifact, and it says if a player has more creatures in play than their opponent, they cannot play creatures. It basically says, hey, opponent, you have this game plan thing. I think you need to rethink that because we're going mm-hmm. all in. Mm-hmm. And Quixelstone, very skill testing of a card because, of course, uh, it's not gonna, it's not going to make your deck lower on creatures and have more action cards. You might actually never want to play Quixelstone in a deck that it's in um it could easily shoot you in the foot it it certainly could it certainly could it's like fangtooth cavern in that respect you've got to know when to play it you've got to know when to to not play it it could almost be tempting for some people i think to play it because it's got that juicy amber pip on it and you might really need that pip of amber but do you need it and is it worth it five turns down the line and of course you know at this point not that many decks had artifact control either artifact control was still quite a luxury so um when you had a quicksilstone down on the board it was quite often there for the game that's true that's true now this set did introduce hawk in uh shadows at common just blowing up an artifact uh pretty easily but but yes that was uh, a pretty big influx just in hawk of direct artifact removal outside of uh poltergeist from the previous two sets and, and some similar cards but it's a fun card and it warps the game in a very key forge and very interesting way rather than the frustration caused by previous game warping cards such as heart of the forest which for mm-hmm. you and your opponent was quite often not worth the hassle <laughs> <laughs> quite often quite often so what's our next card, Zach? Our next card is uh, from House Saurian Tribute, uh, mm. which has an amber pip, and it reads, uh, you're the most powerful friendly creature captures two. You may exalt that creature to uh, repeat the preceding effect. So what that means is you could essentially capture four, ending up with five on that creature, and you've got the pip of amber. It does require, like, uh, uh, you know, you have to have, to have a... a it's only onto the most powerful creature, so it's a little limited there. And I think the reason, of course, that this is on the most infamous card uh, list is everything it comboed with, with six Samper Tyrannosaurus that said, uh, move all amber from the highest powered creature to your pool and destroy that creature. Things like Imperial Scutum that said, this creature gains destroyed, move all amber from this creature to the common supply. Prefectus Ludo, which gave the same effect to all other creatures on the board. 
So often you could just take four amber and then either uh, take it for yourself, spend it maybe with calligraphy and ideal, uh, or just make sure it blows up and was never seen again. So tribute was the way and often on the same turn to uh, to ensure that Amber did not see the opponent's pool uh, ever again. It was a powerful card, a really powerful card. Not on its own. It needed it. Greatness came from being part of a team. Uh, <laughs> yes. And th- those that team was at common and uncommon mm. and uh, uh, spread out. There was five, you know, probably five or six cards that were enablers there. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the team was strong and easy to find. Indeed, indeed. But neither of those cards won. Neither of those cards won. Because... That's true. Tribute Tribute did not even receive any votes. Quixelstone got a single vote. Yeah. And receiving all of the other votes was <laughs> Infernus, which... Um, yes, you know, deservedly. Considering the art on this is so repulsive to look at, I think it did very, very well and sits atop of many people's decks. Infernus is the four-power demon creature in Dis. That says play, purge up to two cards from a discard pile. Your opponent loses amber equal to the number of amber bonus icons on those purged cards. Powerful. Yes. Yeah. Being able to purge cards from either discard pile is great because you can hit your own. You can hit your opponents. You're removing things for them to recur. Um, If you're purging your own cards, that means you're getting the amber off of them and then having them lose that same amount of amber. Uh, so Infernus, um, and Infernus also just takes away the game plan, right? Because you can recur Infernus, you can get its effect to fire multiple times. You might have multiples of Infernus. And so you're going to have games where facing down against uh, multiple Inferni that uh, your game plan just gets taken apart. Say part of your game plan is to regrowth, you know, your hunting witches and your witch of the eyes, but Infernus just, well, you know, hey, I don't care that you're not losing amber, but uh, I'm going to take away all your amber control or all your witches. So you can't get that back later or get it back after your deck flips. So um, yeah, very control heavy card. It exists in the game, so we've got to deal with it, but certainly creates states where you have to play uh, less of your deck than you brought. Yeah, and, and it also makes a lot of those Kota Rush decks that at the time were really everywhere. It makes yes. them look quite average, particularly the ones that rely upon things like Fertility Chant, where... <laughs> <laughs> you, you really end up with a large amber swing. Right, right. And it really, un- unless you can spend that, you know, with a key cheat, it really just turns it into a, a blank card. Yes, it's a big amber loss, but, you know, you you are losing all that amber and then the card leaves. Uh, so I think that's always, a you know, that is a strong play, but that's why my personal favorite thing to do is to, uh, you know, play something with a bunch of amber pips myself and then purge it um, if I'm reasonably confident. I wouldn't see it again because then uh, then that's a pretty big amber swing, a pretty big amber swing instead of just a net zero. Mm. So there we have it. Infernus, the resounding winner of our first Call of Discovery Golden Compass. Um, what is our next category, Zach? Our next category for Worlds Collide is Best Art. We do love to celebrate the art and mm. artists here on Call of Discovery. So we have selected a number of lovely cards uh, a number of lovely cards for our best art category. So our first nomination for best art, Zach, is Manchego. And this is the card with beautiful art by Caravan Studio of a, a human fief in the shadows house. Um, looks like a Svar Elf in the art. And so we're going to go with that. And it is just stunning. It's got a light drench and drench is the right word for it because the rain is pouring down cities uh, cityscape uh, a bit kind of almost like japan almost like tokyo and japan um and you see the light on the floor reflected and just the color palette they're using the oranges the the reds the purples the the dark dark murky blues it really just presents a whole scene a whole feeling um that you you get you get the sense of being there if you know what i mean it's just a stunning piece of art it's a shame it's a rare because i'd love to see it in more decks yeah certainly it's uh one of those narrow effects that you can't deny is good right play steel two with with recursion um and uh the art the art is just 
so beautiful. It's just it's colorful. There's a, there's a crosswalk. There's colors everywhere. It feels very much uh, almost like a cyberpunk a cyberpunk city Manchego, you know, placed in the middle of the scene really does feel like that thief that is going to get away with two entire Amber. Uh, when the situation is right, when the deck, when the deck is small and the lights are dim Manchego does his cheesy work. The, the second card in the category is, uh, one of the cutest creatures in the crucible and quite capable of a chameleonic, uh, uh, you know, outer, dermis change it's more wolf with art by liga smilch kalne uh, i hope i uh, got that somewhat somewhat right uh, of course it is the card with this little fox-esque creature on top uh, of a bit of a log there is a fairy off in the corner aghast at the change the more wolf is going through as its bright golden fur uh, on the back half transition to kind of a smoky green to blend in with the leaves behind it it also has the cheekiest smirk on its face that I've seen on any Keyforge card. It's definitely very proud of itself. Uh, and it's a little more Wolf Pack because these always appear in at least uh, two, two in a deck and Worlds Collide Untamed. And the, the final card in this nomination category of best art is the, Shan- uh, the Star Alliance artifact Uncharted Lands. And this was by Alan Spiller. It is just a stunning piece of art with such scale and a beautiful color palette that we just had to include it 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 essentially depicts it's like the the old Yu-Gi-Oh card wall of revealing light um in that you've got uh these star these these light sources across the sky one can maybe assume it's some kind of energy source that uh, the Star Alliance have found some sustainable energy source, and there are these waterfalls going off into into the abyss below. But just the sense of scale on this card is 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 quite something. It is. It's really stunning. It's a stunning uh, landscape with the waterfalls pouring off and some structures coming out of the water. And like you said, the 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 lights. There's almost what seems to be an, an ocean or a mountain range just under them, and then some more geometric shapes behind them. It really does feel mystical, uncharted, and and expansive, uh, which really also just speaks to the theme of the house, right? The theme of Star Alliance. They would go off into these uncharted lands and explore, and mechanically it rewards Star Alliance creatures uh, for doing that, giving them an extra amber for for reaping up to up to six that are are placed on the card there that they you know are exploring the uncharted lands and finding additional amber. Honestly, think Zach, if we'd started Call of Discovery after Worlds Collide, it came out, it would probably be called Uncharted Lands. Mm. <laughs> that is a that is a great name for uh, a Keyforge like line of content. So if you're thinking about it and you haven't had a name yet and you want to take the jump, call go ahead and call your thing Uncharted Lands. I would that would be absolutely lovely. Oh hell yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and likewise, actually, if we think of a a, a cool episode category, Uncharted Lands would uh, would be a good show. <laughs> um, Fantastic. But, but who was our winner, Zach? Who did the patrons decide was truly the uh, the the custodian of the best art for Worlds Collide? Our winner with uh, over half of the total votes cast is Uncharted Lands. Our Patreon subscribers just couldn't, couldn't get past that beautiful sweeping vista. And honestly, it is a card that makes an impression on you when you see it, especially when you pull it in person. It's one of those you stop and you just pick up the card a little bit closer to get a better look at it the others are lovely but uncharted lands uh, i think has that stop you in its tracks quality that uh gave it the victory here indeed indeed it is a worthy worthy winner and it wins the latest golden call of discovery compass and the next category is pushing design boundaries this is the category where we look at a game that is already super duper duper innovative and we say, well, how have the designers, the illustrious design team that we are very lucky to have, how have the designers pushed it further this time? What have they done that you really think, wow, I knew Keyforge was Keyforge, but this takes the biscuit. Um, what are our nominees, Zach? Our nominees and pushing design boundaries are, first of all, Quixel Stone from Star Alliance showing up again, from Star Alliance Exploro Rover, the creature that can turn into an upgrade, and then lastly, Senator Shrix, the poster child for spending amber off of your own creatures. 
uh, usually usually exalted. Mm. And I think we've spoken a lot about Quixelstone already, but this is really here because it made an impression. It was a real fun, game-changing effect that almost made Keyforge a little bit more synonymous with those types of effects being a thing. And again, building into that fun of discovery, they really, really changed, changed the game. We talk a lot about the old Yu-Gi-Oh! anime, I think, on this podcast. And it, it is like that when they say, hey, you thought you were going to be playing in this field. You're not. You're playing an entirely different <laughs> game. And our heroes have to go, oh, no, what am I going to do? Oh, I'm, I'm in dire straits again because I hadn't really thought about this. This never, I never thought this was possible. And in Keyforge, you can. You come up with these cards. And in Dark Tidings, it's the same. There are these cards that you've never thought of, that you've never even heard of, and you suddenly have to adapt your game playing to, to fit them, to, to kind of to do an optimal game in completely different parameters. So Quixelstone is is definitely a worthy nominee for, for this mm-hmm. area. And, and and you mentioned about upgrades being cool now, Zach. What did you make of Explorover? Uh, it gives a fun choice, right? Because it's a three-power creature that can either just be a three-power creature with a skirmish, or it can be an upgrade that gives something else a skirmish. So uh, three-power with skirmish is is fine, nothing to write home about, but sometimes you do have a situation where you want it to be an upgrade, where you can essentially pay the cost of, I don't have this three-power creature, instead I'm just giving skirmish to maybe something with a great fight effect, uh, or I'm giving another upgrade to something with Light of the Archons that gives plus one power, plus one armor for every other upgrade on that creature. So I think it's less about how flashy Explorer Rover is with that design boundary and more of how it lived inside of Star Alliance, inside of Keyforge, right? Because we've had cards that can be two different things before in other games. That's not new, but how that lives in the Keyforge ecosystem uh, was generated lots of interesting choices there. Mm hmm. And our final card here, Senator Shrix, is a four power, one armor, dinosaur politician. Yes, those two things happen together. Creature (laughs) uh, that says you may spend amber on Senator Shrix as if it were in your pool. And of course, you can play it and exalt it and you can reap it and exalt it. So you can get amber on there and you can spend it to forge keys, which is amazing and something that, you know, going into this set, no one really would have would have thought was 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 going to be was going to be a key part of the game and i think key here and our listeners are probably screaming out that we have not yet mentioned one of the mechanics that came into this set ward and ward is mm. the the mechanic where when you ward a creature any damage dealt to that creature first you you take off the ward before you take any damage off and i think this card really shows where that ward was valuable and even the one armor on this creature makes it really formidable that ward means that you might not be able to get rid of a senator shrix you might not be able to get rid of what the opponent wants to do and forge their key and even if you do you might have spent your whole turn doing that and not doing what you want to do which means that they ultimately win so this is a really powerful value card that really makes use of ward Mm mm-hmm Yes, yes, that was certainly certainly got a big benefit from from Ward, and yeah, was was a great example of of uh, how powerful exalting could be. But uh, Ed, who did our lovely Patreon subscribers pick as the card that was pushing design boundaries in Keyforge and Worlds Collide? Well, I'm happy to say, Zach, that it wasn't a complete whitewash. All of the cards here got some nominations, got some votes, but the winner was still pretty resoundingly Quixelstone. Yes, Quixelstone definitely uh, maybe could not exist uh, or would be a much more broken card in in a couple of other games where your creatures are directly what, you know, often can generate your, your win con. Creatures are a little less direct to the win con in Keyforge. Well, maybe not in all instances. That might be an overgeneralization. However, yeah, overwhelmingly Quixelstone pushing design boundaries uh, certainly causes a lot of chains and interacts with Keyforge's ebb and flow with creatures. Uh, in a very interesting way and next we have a new category yes we never like to stay entirely still here on call of discovery this new category is called if only and uh it is essentially what could have been an incredible card but 
really unfortunately wasn't because of either the set it was put into and the cards around it, or maybe just it needed a bit of design tweaking to become that awesome card. So these are cards that we love, but we wish we really loved even more. And mm-hmm. and what are the nominees for this category, Zach? Well, uh, the first card in this competition from House Logos, Data Forge, uh, then from House Saurian Imperial Forge. So both both cards that let you forge uh, and forge, uh, they give you an increased cost and then let you lessen that cost uh, based on something. Data Forge having cards in hand, Imperial Forge being uh, being amber on creatures. And then lastly, from Brobnar, we have Igon the Terrible, of course, always being paired with Igon the Green the cards I think we've discussed in a few places. Uh, Igon the Green, uh, when it's destroyed, it gets purged, and then it allows you to play Igon the Terrible, who can't get played unless Igon the Green is purged, and Igon the Terrible being kind of this jaded back-from-the-wars version of Igon the Green, who just wants to steal and pillage. So very interesting design, um, but sadly not very effective in a game. Well, yeah, it ended up being quite an act apt name didn't really zach uh the igon was really just <laughs> quite terrible <laughs> In, indeed yeah that's that's true that's true it was such a fun idea but it just needed it would have needed a few more tweaks to be as good as we all wanted it to be based on the flavor <laughs> yes yeah it's one of those cards that you really love what they're going for a viking mm-hmm. going away and coming back it's because you know the evolution of pokemon almost on a card but it it doesn't it's just not it's just not there in 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 mm-hmm. uh, in the mechanics perhaps the designers were worried it would be too strong and uh, yeah. and wanted to pull it yeah. back but it's something that we've seen much better implementations of in the past two sets the ones that came after worlds collide certainly and then it's it's other two companions in this category, right? Are both key cheats that reduce their cost based on something their house generally wants to do. Um, but uh, this is a generalization, of course. There are decks that pull them off with good regularity. Uh, however, most of the time when you would see these, the deck would have a difficult time to actually pull them off as a key cheat. I think we've especially seen that in um, Data Forge and Future Sets is actually fires much more much more often imperial forge uh it actually in dark tidings fires much more regularly than it did in worlds collide so in this set in worlds collide these two key cheats just didn't have enough support to really be huge threats you definitely wanted to be aware of them but uh you weren't going to start sweating as soon as you saw them on a, on a deck list that's for sure no no absolutely not absolutely not and i think that's why these are here because people really wanted they wanted Data Forge to be that fun card that they could actually use. Um, but understandably, the design was maybe restrained a bit because it could have broken the game if it was too strong. So it is entirely understandable. But the votes on these were a little bit more split. There weren't many votes for Imperial Forge, but it was a tight race between Data Forge and Igon. But Igon took it in the end. So Igon, we love you but we just don't want to play you. (laughs) It's true. And I think Igon winning is just really a testament to how much we wanted Igon the Green and Igon the Terrible to be really good. We absolutely, I mean, it's been, it's been the subject of podcasts across ours and help from future self and a few others, maybe even uh, the KFPL weekly podcast, but like everybody has just lamented that the card wasn't better. (laughs) We just wanted it to be better. And for our final category, we have the category called Difficult Decisions. These are cards that when you look at them in your hand, you go, Ooh, uh, uh, do, I, do, I, do I play it? Where do I play it? How do I play it? When do I choose to, to activate it? Oh, bother. And then you just throw your cards down and walk away because uh, smoke is coming out of your ears. So, Ed, who are our brain-melting nominees for Difficult Decisions? Our brain-melting nominees for Difficult Decisions are Fangtooth Cavern, the Untamed Artifact, Gambling Den, the Shadows Artifact, and everybody's favorite creature. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't spoken about Bromnar. We can speak about Bromnar right now. Meganarp! (laughs) Oh, Meganarp. 
Oh, Megan Narp. I do think Narp gets a bit of a bad rap, but yes, it is a hard decision about whether or not to even play the dang thing. I, I think I think this was a, probably a bit of a sarcastic inclusion from myself. This is a bit now, of the British humor here. You know, the number of cards I could could have included in the shortlist here, and I just went with Megan Narp because it is I, such a bad card. It's funny <laughs> i i will say being mega that brings it to a, a 10 power one armor creature that says mega narps neighbors cannot reap i will say 10 power one armor is at least worth considering now you might shoot yourself in the foot right if something if a reap gets turned off later you know if your your enemy messes with your battle line a bit but 10 power one armor isn't anything to sneeze at that's that's for sure that's for sure I'm not saying it's good. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> saying it's, it's a hard decision. You heard it here first. Call of Discovery. Zach is a NARP apologist. <laughs> hey, at least the NARP deck learning system. That's for sure. NARP, 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 uh, NARP. But yeah, f- <laughs> fake, fake. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, we'll have to le- link apologies to Ed that that compose that composition by Karen Brown in the show notes. Um, but Fangtooth Cavern and Gambling Den, definitely hard decisions. Fangtooth Cavern very much... Uh, the decision of whether or not to play it because it will uh, destroy the least powerful creature at the end of the owner's turn every turn. So, you know, playing it is a choice. And then also what creatures do you do or do not play going forward uh, based on what might blow up the Fangtooth Cavern. And then Gambling Den, of course, uh, Gambling Den, of course, lets you, if you want to, at the beginning of your turn, pick a house and then you reveal the top card of your deck and if it matches you gain to amber but if it doesn't match you lose to amber so it really is a gambling then and does that before your forge a key step so you can actually go from four to six amber and forge a key if you uh, are either a bit of a cheater uh, and by that i mean right you've planned on what's on top of your deck uh or if you are just uh trying to be trying to be lucky Indeed, indeed. It is a really cool card. It's very Keyforge and very Shadows. And yes. I like that they included it because of that. Um, Fangtooth Cavern, I've become a victim of many times playing it and then realizing that my deck is full of smaller creatures and um, and losing the game as a result. Um, it is not something that I've learned my lesson on yet, Zach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a skill tester. It's a skill tester for sure, for sure. The deck definitely needs to have a Fangtooth Cavern plan, and you also need to look at what's in your opponent's deck. Uh, even if you have medium sized creatures, if your opponent just has big creatures, then uh, yeah, you might be out of luck. Indeed, indeed. And uh, Mega Narp wins. No, no, Mega Narp doesn't quite. win. It's it's a shame because I don't think. But the one thing we've been remiss of not saying is Brobnar probably aren't winning any awards in, in Worlds Collide. In fact, I think it became a bit of a joke um, for, for, for Worlds <laughs> well, Collide. Well, they, they, they did take home the if only prize with Igon, <laughs> with Igon the oh, Terrible. Yes, of course so they did. Yes, they did. Yes. They did. They did. And yeah. also, um, yeah, if you're playing Reversal, then Brobnar in Worlds Collide is fantastic. And <laughs> it's, no, it's really worth it's really worth looking at your your Brobnar Worlds Collide decks because you might have a a real real gem in there for 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 reversal. Yep, yep. The more slimy jarks you've got, the more of a gem it is. <laughs> so, uh, what? Well, we we've spoiled that Mega Narp has not taken home the Golden mm. Compass for difficult decisions, Ed. But but who does? Who does take home that Golden Compass? Well, Zach, I think it was a difficult decision for our patrons, uh, mm. and they, not one that they could grapple with. <laughs> Because it looks like we have a tie between Fangtooth Cavern and Gambling Den wow. for this award, wow. which means I am guessing the that was a difficult decision. <laughs> it was. It was a difficult decision. <laughs> I'm getting the chainsaw of discovery out, and I'm going to saw the golden compass of discovery because chainsaws can saw through gold, right? Um, in half, in perfect half, so that uh, the compass can point to due north for both. Fangtooth Cavern and Gambling Den. Mm, yes, congratulations to both hilariously difficult to parse artifacts. Definitely. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I think that pretty much sums things up for our set perspective on on Worlds Collide. Ultimately, it's a set that I had a lot of fun with and I think will continue to have a lot of fun with in months and years to come. Certainly, there are still decks i've got from that set that i probably haven't explored to their full potential 
and um, I may even pick up another display here and there if I can, mindful that they might be a little harder to get hold of in, again, the months and years to come. Yeah, yeah, I think Worlds Collide was a great set. And like I said before, I just want to reiterate, it was the set that I think for me and a lot of other people really solidified that this game was going to have a long life strategically, both from a deck choice perspective when you're an Archon um, and also just from a matchup, uh, an in-game matchup perspective after after these decks came and showed that that uh, Coda Rush couldn't just play uh, regular old Coda Rush. It'd be a bit smarter. You needed more removal and you need to be a bit a bit more careful and uh yeah you need to be able to to kill several eddies (laughs) dear listener thank you so much for joining us for our set retrospective on worlds collide looking back to this awesome set that for me really really sealed the deal with keyforge being a game with a long future and a lot of fun strategic strategic uh uh gameplay uh, in Worlds Collide and all the way ahead, which I- I'm happy to say I think the future sets have have been doing well with as well. So thank you so much for joining us. And if you are enjoying Call of Discovery, make sure to be subscribed on your podcast app of choice so that you get notified every time we drop a new episode. Remember, we are weekly or fortnightly, which would be every other week. So make sure to watch out for every time those episodes drop. If you're new to Keyforge, make sure to visit the new player guide on the website Archon Arcana. It's the Keyforge wiki linked below run by the community where you can get your own unique journey started in this wonderful game. If you are looking to support us monetarily, please check out our Patreon linked below. You can sign up to support us monthly and you can enjoy rewards like being a part of our exclusive Discord like you heard all of our uh, patrons voting today. In all these categories, you also get access to Beyond Discovery, our little sideshow where we go behind the scenes on Call of Discovery, uh, goof around a little bit, talk about uh, the business of the podcast, uh, the past and future and other things that uh, you just don't get on on the main show. Do let us know what you'd like to see more or less of in future shows by interacting with us across social media on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, or just send us a plain old email at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. But most importantly, more than all that, listener, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery? Absolute fool. <laughs>